at Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. This is God's word. Let me lead us in prayer as we look at Psalm 84. Our Father, to some of us these words may seem very familiar, to others they may seem very foreign indeed. That our soul would yearn and faint for you. The recognition that one day with you is better than a thousand other days. Father, if we know very little of that, would you teach us more this evening? Would you move us in our thinking and in our feeling to understand more of what that means to have our souls yearn for you, our flesh desperate for you? Help us, Father. We won't do this on our own. We need your Spirit's help. So please move us our thinking and our affections this evening, we pray. Amen. Uh, we started a little series then um, in the book of Psalms. And uh, really we call it praying with, uh, praying with passion or uh, praying our feelings. And uh, we're thinking about how taking essentially representative Psalms throughout the book. Uh, take a while to go through it all in one hit. Thinking about how actually the Psalms are very strong in their language. Actually, we can be often be half-hearted in uh, the language we, the, that we use, a, a little lukewarm. Now, as I set out to sort of slightly uh, plan out the series, Psalm 84, I, I was very keen to have a look at it. But in one sense, it was always the cuckoo in the nest. Because for most of them, most of the Psalms we'll look at, they're fairly easy to relate to. So last week we thought about doubt. Like next week we think about anger. How do we pray when we're angry? How do we pray when we're guilty? A uh, week after that, how do we pray when we're depressed? Uh, and in one sense, anger, doubt, envy, guilt, yeah, yeah, I know them, they're, they're quite easy, yeah, help, uh, I, I feel those things on a fairly regular basis. But Psalm 84 is a bit different, isn't it? Because you don't look at that and think, yeah, yeah, that's me, every day, 
Every day my heart is yearning for the Lord. Help me, Hex. Well, that's just a bit different, isn't it, perhaps? And, yeah, maybe. Maybe. But the Psalms do give us a full range of emotion for the believer. And so if you never know anything of this, that would be a surprise. And it may be that this psalm, rather than one that we pull out of the drawer on the rare occasion or the infrequent occasion where we're struggling, or it's a period of our life when we're struggling with anger or depression or doubt, and I know Psalm 73 that we looked at last week becomes very precious for a season, maybe Psalm 84 is one we need to use a lot more regularly to remind ourselves that this this is appropriate, normal. So I went very high then. I didn't know I went that high. (laughs) Normal. Um, For the Christian believer. So it's slightly different, this one. But essentially, it is a song, Psalm 84, saying, I love going to church. I love going to church. And you may look down and think, who wrote this? The sons of Korah. They went to a different church. I hope you don't feel that, but you might. And yet this isn't unique. And there are a lot of psalms that would express this sort of language, particularly psalms 120s and 130s, very strong on the, the yearning to be amongst God's people, the yearning to be in the, the, the temple, the courts where God's people would be and, and God himself dwelling. Very, it's a very common theme. So we need to understand uh, a little bit about this. Now, you'll see it breaks into three sections, fairly straightforwardly, one to four, then Salah, uh, uh, four, five to eight, Salah, nine to twelve, Salah. Now, if you've read a number of the Psalms, you realize this word comes up very often. And what it means is, no one knows, really. Um, so the most, you know, it could mean pause and reflect. It could mean trumpet solo at this point. No one really actually knows. Um, but it clearly, it breaks, breaks the Psalms in, uh, in this sort of way. Three things, three things we're going to say. Uh, revealed that this, uh, about this psalmist. He longs to draw near God's dwelling. Secondly, he longs to journey with others. And third, we'll see, he longs to arrive in God's courts. Okay? He longs to draw near to God's dwelling. He longs to journey with others. He longs to arrive in God's courts. And uh, we'll work through them in turn. First then, he longs to draw near to God's dwelling. Verses uh, 1 to 4. Now, before we jump right in, uh, I think we need to do a little bit of work uh, translating, I think that's okay to say, translating the experience of this Old Testament believer into New Testament language, because things are a little bit different. Most, most of this psalm, then, he is yearning to be in Jerusalem. He is longing to be in the temple or the courtyards of the temple, which, uh, throughout the Old, Test- Old Testament, is where God dwells intensely, representatively. Now, they're not foolish. Uh, All Old Testament believers would know that God is omnipresent. That is, God is everywhere. So, um, uh, Solomon, when the the temple is dedicated, he can say very clearly, 1 Kings 8, Lord, we know that no building contains you. You are everywhere. And all, all the Old Testament believers would have said, yes, amen. God is everywhere. And yet, God had promised to dwell intensely among them in the temple, in Jerusalem, 
So you'd be familiar, some of you are doing a Bible overview at the moment. It started off with the tabernacle, it started off as a tent, and God dwelt amongst his people there. Uh, finally, in Jerusalem, they built a permanent building, and it's, it's kind of like a palace or a throne room for God. God dwelt intensely amongst his people to bless them. That was the purpose of his blessing, of uh, uh, his dwelling there. Not contained by a building, of course not, he's God. But he dwelt there intensely to bless. Uh, Technically, it's his covenant presence. He has promised to be there to bless his people or to curse them, indeed, uh, if they do wrong. Now, that's in the Old Testament. Now, things change a little bit. So let me just put a few pegs in the ground uh, and then we'll uh, push on with the psalm. A few pegs like this will be slightly different for... New Testament believers. First then, you can put it this way, we worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus' words, uh, John chapter 4. He meets a woman, a Samaritan woman, not a Jewish woman. She says, should I go to Jerusalem to worship at the temple? That's meant to be a really important place. And Jesus says to her, a time is coming and has now come, now I'm here, that you don't need to go there. The important thing is to worship in spirit and in truth, which you can do anywhere. There is no special place on earth anymore. No building. Okay? Don't need to travel to Jerusalem. God is not more intensely in Jerusalem than he is in London. So we worship in spirit and truth uh, as uh, New Testament Christians. Uh, Second thing would be, we have been brought near. So whereas uh, the psalmist here, he's uh, he's longing to draw near. So verse 3, he wants to be near the altar uh, like the sparrows and the swallows. Well, the Bible would be quite clear, so Ephesians 2.13 would be one, one place. Once we were far away, but now we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you're a Christian, you don't ebb and flow in and out of God's presence. You're there, always, permanently, near. That doesn't change if you're a Christian. People get very confused on this point. I was uh, talking to someone uh, 10 days ago. And um, he, was a, he was a musician, and we're talking about music and, ch- and church music. And uh, in the course of the conversation, he said, of course, uh, in a church band, the drummer holds the, ki- holds the keys to the throne room of God. And uh, I said, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? <laughs> he said, well, it really is the drummer who takes us into the presence of God. He holds the keys to the throne room. Now, I just couldn't help thinking of my six-year-old son. He's got a drum kit in his bedroom. When he doesn't take me to the throne room of God, he drives me to despair. Um, I think mean, not every drummer, not every drummer has the keys of that sense. Now, that is nonsense. And we had a little chat about that, and um, he agreed that maybe his language wasn't the most sensible. Because what are you talking about? You don't, need a, you don't need a preacher. You don't need a musician. You don't need a priest. You don't need anyone to take you into the throne room of God. If you are a Christian, once you were far away, now you've been brought near. What did we just sing? I come by the blood. Or better perhaps would be, I have come by the blood. That never changes. If you're a Christian, you have been brought near. You're always in God's presence. Okay, so there's a difference. A couple of differences. Third thing to say, as New Testament believers... God's people are his dwelling place. It's one of the repeated comments of the New Testament. The temple language of the Old Testament, this one special place where God dwelt in Jerusalem, is now applied to Christians when they gather. So God's people 
or a congregation of God's people who trust in Jesus Christ, who are indwelt by his spirit, that is where God dwells. That is the temple. God's gathered people, believing in Jesus Christ, filled by his spirit. That is the dwelling place of God, according to the New Testament. Innumerable places, 1 Corinthians 3, 13, uh, perhaps uh, one of the strongest or clearest. So there is a sense the New Testament would say that God is everywhere. Yes, he's omnipresent. Uh, Any believer can worship him anywhere. Yes, you don't need anyone else. Yet, when Christians gather together, God is there in a different way. More intensely, because he has attached promises to the gathering of Christians. So as Jesus would say in Matthew 18, where two or three gather together in my name, I'll be amongst you in your midst. That's a certain context to that, but that's still true. There's a, there's God is present in a slightly different way. Or 1 Corinthians 14, as Paul would put it, uh, when Christians are gathered together and serving one another and meeting with God, others who don't know Jesus will come in and say, surely God is among you. Surely God is among you. 1 Corinthians 14, 25, 26. So the New Testament says God has promised to be amongst the gathering of Christians in a slightly different way to just when Christians are scattered on their own. So there is a difference. So those pegs hopefully in the ground. Essentially, um, let me try and summarize, more simply would be this. Don't go anywhere special. If you're a Christian, you relate to God anywhere, you're always in his presence, always in God's presence. But... When the church gathers together, when Christians gather together, God is there more intensely, uh, in a different way. Uh, He has promised slightly different things when he's with his people, when these people are gathered together. Now, with those pegs in the ground, uh, let's uh, actually push into the psalm. First, uh, verses uh, 1 and 2 of uh, Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. You see, actually, there are three parallel sentences here at the beginning. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. My soul yearns for the courts of the Lord. And then the third one is, my heart and flesh cry out for, for you, for the living God. So I want to be in your place. I want to be in your home because I want to see you. And that's where the emphasis is. He's not going to the temple because it's beautiful. It's not going to the temple because it was the best music in Israel. That probably was. He's going there to meet the Lord. That's his concern in gathering. I take it if we don't yearn ever to gather with Christians, that is because we don't yearn for the Lord. I take it from Psalm 84. Verses 3 and 4, he's jealous. He's jealous of the birds. He's jealous of the sparrows and the swallows because they can nest in the rafters and be near the altar. I mean, it's lovely, isn't it? Poetic. I think if we had sparrows and swallows nesting here, I'd just be irritated. But he says, look at them. That's uh, it's lovely. They can be in the temple there all the time. Verse 4, he says, wouldn't it be wonderful to be there all the time? Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They're ever praising you. Now, I don't know what you make of the intensity of language in these verses. Verse 2. My soul yearns, faints. My heart and flesh cry out. I'd love to be nearer to you. 
Now, that's thoroughly biblical language, obviously. It's not unique. I mean, read, I mean, particularly Psalms 121 onwards. It's constant yearning to be there. And um, I guess for many of us, the question then becomes, why, why so infrequent? Or, I don't want to judge necessarily, but is that a common experience, a, a yearning to meet with God? In particular in this psalm, with his people. A fainting? I mean, have you spent most of the day thinking, oh, I can't wait till 6.30. I can't wait till 6.30. I mean, maybe... Maybe you have. I think sometimes particularly is true. You know, you, you go away on holiday. I always find this. I go away on holiday and I just can't wait to come back and uh, be with church, particularly if I'm not doing anything. That's terrific. Um, just to sit back and... Uh, and yeah, I love that. But well, is, how common is that? And I'd suggest, biblically, that if there isn't ever any of that yearning, hungering, after God. Presumably that is, or the Bible would tell us, it's because we're just filling ourselves up with other things. We don't yearn for him because we, we snack on other little things. So, uh, very straightforward question. When you were younger, everyone, and uh, your dinner used to be served, your tea, depends where you're from, um, served at 6 p.m., your mum or your dad used to put that on the table at 6 p.m. It was half past five, and you asked the question, Mummy, Daddy, can I have some biscuits? Can I have some cake? Their answer would be, no chance, because it will... See, see how unoriginal parents are. I mean, that's, that's unplanned. Yeah, parents would say, no, it'll ruin your dinner. You don't, can't have that now. It'll ruin your dinner. If you, if you have a load of cake now, you won't eat your spaghetti bolognese and peas now if you're a cheeky kid if you're a cheeky kid you might turn around and say well you know what if that's a choice cake or spag bol and peas i'll take cake <laughs> it'll ruin my appetite but i don't care i'd rather eat that to which presumably i mean let's play it out presumably the parent would say no because if you have cake oh whatever five-year-old you'll have a sugar rush for about half an hour or two hours, and um, that'll be chaos and you won't go to bed. You'll have a sugar rush that'll get you going for a little while, but it does you no real good. Whereas if you have your balanced diet and all your major food groups and spaghetti bolognese and peas, um, <laughs> that is better for you. That builds you up. That will sustain you, help you grow. That is healthier for you. Now, of course, spiritually speaking, if we don't hunger after God, if we never have any experience of yearning for him, presumably in the language of this psalm, it's because we're, well, we're snacking. We'll have a little sugar rush from other things, a little sugar rush from our, from our job or, or a new relationship or a new toy, a new computer, a new eye thing, and... Um, <laughs> uh, we get very excited and we'll, oh, that'll, you know, and there's a little sugar rush. But it doesn't, it doesn't grow us. I mean, those are all good things. Cake is a good thing, let's be honest. I love cake. Um, but if you just eat cake, you're in trouble. You know, the little, those things of life, they're good. All good. But they don't sustain us, grow us, in the same way as God. 
were made for him. If we never, if we never know anything of a, a yearning, desiring after God that this psalmist expresses, I guess we're just, well, we're living our lives on Haribo, spiritually speaking. A little sugar rush and then it goes. And this psalmist says, I've put aside those things and I yearn for you. I yearn for you. I know that nothing sustains like you. Nothing brings me satisfaction like you. Nothing brings me joy like you. Nothing. Nothing will. Striking, isn't it? The psalmist yearns for God and therefore he yearns for God's dwelling place. And I take it that in the New Testament eyes we say this is the language of a Christian yearning to meet with God's people. And I think many of us would know that sensation. Would know. Actually, it is encouraging to come and gather together. It is. It is a real pleasure in gathering together to sing, to catch up on news, to help one another. How is it going? What is going on in your life? To spur one another on. To hear God's word together and say to one another, yeah, let's do that. Let's be different. Let's be changed. There is a real pleasure in that. I think most of us have known it. But if you never long to meet up with other members of the church family, there's probably no real longing in you for God either. Now, just one little caveat. Of course this can be abused. Uh, Of course you can be mistaken in this regard. So I was at a uh, a Christian Union uh, meeting on Friday night, not in London, no one here. Um, I was a Christian Union meeting, uh, which I was speaking at, and I sat next to a chap, lovely guy, and uh, during the singing, he was enormously animated and uh, uh, dancing around. And uh, then I spoke, uh, and then afterwards sat down, and uh, the, the guy leading the meeting said, okay, you know, why don't you turn to the person next to you and say the thing you're most struck by in what we've just heard. It was James chapter 3, enormously practical on how we use our speech. I said to him, what were you struck by? He said, I thought it was boring. I said, oh, well, I'm sorry. Um, was, it, was it that I'm really boring? Was it that you always find these talks boring? Or you just think the whole Bible's boring? And he said, I think all the talks are boring here. Now, that was personally a little discouraging, but um, <laughs> particularly as I've just spoken on the tongue and how to use it positively. But, um, <laughs> uh, I mean, he's deluding himself there. He's not, he's not really meeting with Christians to enjoy God. If he just enjoys, I like the singing, I like the musical lift. But when God speaks, I'm not interested in that. Well, you're not really there to meet with God, is he? So I take it, when you, if we really enjoy gathering, you, you want to be knowing that you're enjoying everything about it, I guess. The meeting with the Christians and engaging with them and speaking with them. Yes, the singing, of course it's uplifting. It's lovely to be able to do that together. But also hearing God speak and Gosh, the, the living God speaks to me and he wants, he wants me to hear him and, and change me. You want to enjoy all elements. And if you're enjoying all those things, well, presumably then you're gathering to meet with God. Of course. That's a very encouraging place to be. So here's a man. He longs to draw near to God's dwelling. New Testament language, he longs to gather with God's people to meet God with them. Let's push on and look at the others more briefly. Second thing then, verses 5 to 8. He longs to journey with others. Verses 5 to 8. So the language shifts here to describe those who are on the road to Jerusalem. I take it in New Testament terms, that is, living the Christian life. The New Testament picks up in numerous places. The fact that when you become a Christian, 
But this life is a pilgrimage to heaven. It is a journey on your way to heaven. I mean, classically, John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress. Christian is on his way to the celestial city. So here is language that the, the Christian can use of living the Christian life, I think. Verses 5 to 8. Now what goes on? Verses 5 and 6. Uh, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, set their hearts on pilgrimage, as they pass through the valley of Baca. They make it a place of springs. Now what's clear from, uh, from the Old Testament, uh, particularly in 2 Samuel, chapter 5 and 23, David is in the valley of Baca, and there's nothing there. It is a barren place, an arid place. There is no water in Baca. So 2 Samuel 23, David is gasping for water, um, and uh, he's very low. So it's, here's a picture then of, of Christians going through dry times. So I long to be with pilgrims, I long to be with Christians, I long to walk with them on their way to heaven. But when they go through dry times, what happens? Well, verse 6, they make it a place of springs. They dig blessings out. He says, I want to be with a group of believers who as they go through life and time is hard and sickness comes or whatever it is, unemployment comes, affliction comes. I want to be with people who say to me, this is a barren place, but let's dig out some blessings here. Let's dig until we find water. Let's dig and remind ourselves God is good. God has his purposes in this. And we'll walk with you through these hard times. He says, I want to be with those sort of people who encourage me when I go through that sort of dry or barren place. And of course in the Christian life you need that sometimes. You encounter hardships, dry places, and you need others to come alongside you and say, let me dig for you. You're... You need my help. Let me dig for you now so you understand how good God is. You need to have others journey with others. Now, some people do try to live the Christian life on their own, uh, hold other people at arm's length. So there's little honesty, little accountability. You can't do that. You can't just wander the Christian life on your own. Very sadly, we had a chap um, leave church in the last month. He sent in a, a very long letter, uh, listing the heresies of our church, why he had to leave. I, mean, I think heresies in his view. Um, so I said to him, oh, oh dear, that is very sad. Where are you going to go now? If you're not coming here, I understand, but where are you going to go? Nowhere. Nowhere. I can't think of any church, really, that really understands the Bible like I do. Now, look, if you're in a church of one, you've got a problem. You do, you, you, alarm bells ought to be ringing there if you can't be satisfied at any church every church is imperfect but, you know, alarm bells need to be ringing we need one another now that's obviously that was a pretty strong letter to receive it's, I've never had one like that before um, but more common for a congregation like this might be people thinking uh, here I am I'm, I'm in London and I've arrived in London but my good friends my good Christian friends are elsewhere they're in Birmingham Bath, New York, Sydney, wherever it may be. My good friends are, are elsewhere. And uh, they're the ones who help me walk the Christian life. And so, I, you know, I, just can't not, I can't be doing with more people. You can't live the Christian life that way. People on, in different places can't carry you through the dry times. You need people with you. You have to live where you are. 
And if you find yourself slipping into that, you, you, can't, you can't do that. People on the other side of the world or even the other side of this country, they, they, you can't always see what's going on in your life. You need others around you who can walk this Christian life with you. makes it very different indeed. So here's a man then, he longs to journey with others. The end of the journey, well, or the progression of the journey is verses 7 and 8. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Not inevitable. Not, uh, not that the Christian life is just one straight trajectory up, going from strength to strength. But with Christian life ebbs and flows. But generally the trajectory, progress, maturity, as you walk it with others. As you walk it with others. So here's a man then. He longs to uh, draw near to God's dwelling. He longs to journey with others. Verses 5 to 8. Third and last thing. He longs to arrive. He longs to arrive in God's courts. Now, God's dwelling place is with his people. God dwells amongst his people. That is true now. Ultimately, that's fulfilled in the new creation. Ultimately. That's when we will see God face to face. When God will physically walk amongst his people. Where we can meet Jesus Christ and see him face to face. And uh, I think that's really the gist of what he's talking about here. I mean, meeting with God's people now, it's good. It can be great. But it is nothing compared to what it'll be then. Uh, I don't know how many of you go to, uh, frequently go to classical concerts. But if you go to a classical concert uh, and you, you sit down and, um, you know, the, uh, the musos, they're all, all the musicians come in. There's no conductor yet. All the musicians come in and they tune up. They tune up. And um, actually, in some ways, that's quite lovely. It's exciting because you know things are about to get going. Uh, but you know, and uh, depending on the ones, it's, if it's a good orchestra, they don't need that much tuning anyway. They've, they've done their work. And uh, they tune up and uh, it's fairly harmonious. It's quite nice, actually, isn't it? Uh, normally, it's quite nice. It's pleasant. But if that went on for an hour and a half, that would be a bit tedious. <laughs> it's quite pleasant to begin with. But it's not the performance it's not the program of symphony and concerto. It's quite nice. It's not the real thing. Gathering now with Christians, it's quite nice. It's a good thing to do. It's essential, the New Testament says. You've got to do it. You won't, make it to, you won't make it to heaven on your own. It's not the real thing. It's not being there. Of course not. I mean, that'll be infinitely better. We're just tuning up now. Personally, some of us don't even manage that with our voices. But, you know, we're tuning up. That's what we're doing here and now. So do you see what he says, how he puts it? Verse 10. He talks about space and time. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. It's very striking, isn't it? There is more joy in one day in heaven than three years on this planet. You take the very best moments you've had over the last three years... Well, one day in heaven will just trump them miles better. Miles better. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. It's better to be, I'm not that this quite works, but it would be better to be just on the fringes of heaven than dwelling amongst those who don't know God. Much better. Much, much better than being in a, I don't know, executive box at Wembley, to have the best seats at the opening games of the Olympic Games, just to be near, just, to, just for a glimpse 
of God. Much better than anything this world has to offer. I guess we can see that. If you've you've ever met someone famous or just seen someone famous, you remember it, don't you? I mean, I met the Queen once. I got to shake her hand, you know, for about a millisecond. And, um, you know, I remember that. I remember meeting her more than probably anyone else in my life because it's the Queen. Um, So it's it's kind kind of quite exciting. Just a glimpse. Just a glimpse. It's so memorable. Even just to be at the fringes of heaven. So much better than anywhere else. You could possibly be. Why so? Well, verse 11. So good to be there. Because for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold. The Lord God is a sun. Very strong language. Not even he's like a sun. We've gone beyond simile here. He's a sun. Because the sun gives warmth and light and energy and he's a shield he protects he gives favor and honor literally he gives grace and glory no good thing does he withhold no good thing of grace and glory I think that means no good element of favor and honor there's always more grace with God he won't withhold any glory from you when you get to be with him in the new creation, will be with him. Better is one day, just one day, with him than a thousand anywhere else. I looked up again uh, one of my favorite quotes this week from uh, uh, the old Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, talking of that. Let me uh, read it to you. It's a fairly long one, but it'll come up on the screen. You might follow it with me. Oh, to bow before him and to kiss that blessed face. Jesus, what better do we want than to see thee by your own light shine, to see thee and speak with thee as when a man speaketh with his friend? It's pleasant to talk about this. But what will it be there when the pearl gates open? The place, the streets of gold, they'll have small attraction to us. And the harps of angels will but slightly enchant us compared with the God in the midst of the throne. He it is who shall rivet our gaze, absorb our thoughts, enchain our affection, and move all our sacred passions to their highest pitch of celestial ardor. We shall see Jesus. And one day, one day, you're better than every joy you could cram into the best three years of your life. You take the best thousand years of your, whatever it may be, 70 on this planet. Pitiful compared to one day being with him. But you don't get one day. You get eternity. That's a long time. I vividly remember someone putting it, putting it to me like this. Imagine in space a block of marble. It's a cube. It's a thousand miles wide. It's a thousand miles high. It's a thousand miles deep. A block of marble. Once every thousand years, a little swallow comes, flies up to the block of marble, and spends a second sharpening its beak, and then flies away again, and comes back a thousand years. Eventually, 
but it'll swallow or wear down that block of marble. Take quite a long time. But when that block of marble is gone, then eternity begins. It's just the beginning of eternity. It's a long time. Not just one day with Jesus, but eternity. So here's this believer. I don't know if you feel this ever. He says, I long to be with God. I long to be in God's presence. Therefore, I love being with God's people. I love it. I, because there, it's just different being with God's people. There's a different encouragement. I, I know, God, that I, I, I meet with you slightly differently when I meet with others. It's so encouraging to serve other people, to sing with other people, to, to hear you speak with other people and say, we're going to do this together. I long for that. I love that. And we're just tuning up. Just, just, just getting the orchestra ready. Because when we're there and we see Jesus face to face, that will be extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. About uh, 200 years ago, an Anglican clergyman um, put this psalm to music. He wrote a poem on it, and I've lost it. So I don't know if we've got it on the slide. Here we go. Very lovely. Pleasant are your courts above in the land of light and love. Pleasant are your courts below in this land of sin and woe. Oh, my spirit longs and faints for the converse of your saints, for the brightness of your face, for your fullness, God of grace. I long to be with you in heaven. I long to be there. And while I'm waiting, well, I can meet with you amongst God's people. And that'll, that'll be okay. That'll be lovely, actually. That'll encourage me. That'll keep me going in, through the dry times, through the barren times. When I don't feel like I yearn for you, they'll keep me going. And then I'll make it there. Do you know any of that? If it's familiar to you, that's a wonderful thing. If it's unfamiliar, are you yearning really for God? Just stacking a little too much, the Haribo of life? And I guess for most of us, it is, we, we just need to say it. We need Psalm 84. We need to come back to it and say, Lord, I don't always feel this way, but I know objectively in my head, I trust your promises one day, one day with you, better than the thousand best days I've ever had on this planet. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you, you by your spirit, caused uh, this psalm to be written and recorded for us. Thank you in many ways for the encouragement it is. We, we may not feel this way all that often, although we know it in part. But thank you for the encouragement that here is a believer who, who yearns after you, who perhaps knows you far better than we do. But then gives us an encouragement to grow in that direction, to yearn after you. So Father, encourage us. Encourage us how wonderful it is to meet with others because they encourage us to meet with you and to love you.
Amen. We're going to uh, share the Lord's Supper uh, together. Together. In a moment to uh, encourage one another. I'm going to just pause and say, I wonder if anyone wanted to ask a question on Psalm 84. Because uh, I've punched through some of the, in one sense, it's slightly complicated things quite quickly. Um, how it's uh, appropriate for us to take it, read it, uh, this side of, of Jesus' work. So I'm just going to pause and if you just throw a hand in the air if you had a question at all. If not, no problem. Um, okay. So God's dwelling place, is it the gathering of Christians now and heaven? Yes, yes. I think the New Testament say, right here and now, God dwells amongst his people. The people, of, the gathered congregation who trust in Jesus Christ, indwelt by his spirit, they are God's temple. Now, but the fulfillment of that, that's, that's in the new creation. So we just know it in part. We're just tuning up for it. Uh, when I say God is, when we gather together, God is with us in a different way. What does that look like? Uh, as opposed to when you're away on your own. Um, yeah. So what's the difference between how do you meet with God now as opposed to tomorrow morning when you get up and read your Bible and pray? Um, well, once is that you just take the promises of the, of the Bible and certainly Jesus, Matthew 18, says there's a difference when two or three gather together. There's a difference. The other context there is in making a decision about uh, church membership. Um, but there's a difference, Paul say, 1 Corinthians 14. It's when people gather together that people who don't know Jesus will come and say, no, no, God is among you. There, there, is, there is a difference here. So I'd say he has promised to meet somewhat differently. Um, now beyond that, what, what does that actually, actually look like? Um, well, again, the injunctions of the Bible, I don't know, Hebrews 10.35, don't give up meeting together. Because you need to do that for encouragement to live the Christian life. So there is an encouragement we get from meeting together that we don't get when we're on our own. What does that look like? I don't, I don't know. You tell me. Uh, what, how, do you, how do you get, what is the encouragement you get which is different from when people are around you to when you're on your own? It's the conversation you have. Um, yeah, it's the it's the joining together in doing an activity. It's you know it's you walk together. It is a bit different. You know, if someone stumbles, you say, "Oh, come on!" You you pick them up and you you help them along the road. And so, that's what we do when we're together. We might be stumbling a little bit in the Christian faith, and someone says, "How are you going?" And you say, "You know what? I'm not going great actually. I'm I've got real doubts, or I'm just really ground down at the moment, or." So I says, well, come on, I'm going to lift you up and I'm going to carry you a little bit. I'm going to help you. So there is, God is amongst us to encourage through his people. Um, 